Good evening. Well, this week didn't get any easier than last week. I don't know what happened. Still tired, still worn out, still working too much. Uh, but I am grateful that we get to spend some time together this evening in His Word, growing together, being refreshed, just spending a time unplugged from everything else, too. It's connected to everything. And so we're going to be speaking a little bit on that this evening as we look at Deborah and her song that she wrote with Barack. And let's go before the word in prayer, the Lord in prayer, excuse me. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, and we pray that you would speak to us this evening and that you would speak to us through this text and through the lives that were lived so many centuries ago, and that you would apply them and use them in our lives this evening and where we're at in Jesus' name, amen. And so as we begin chapter 5, this is the song that Deborah wrote, and she's singing it, and Barak is helping her, but... This song is about the previous chapter, which is the victory, the deliverance that was given there. If you remember, J.L. put that tent spike in that general's head. We know that the battle was there on the plains. And this song is going to send us, um, give us some details of that battle as well. But I also want to point out the song is in Hebrew, original Hebrew. Now, it's not an original Hebrew in your text here now. They've had to translate it into English. And so you're going to miss out on the poetry, the rhythm, um, the metrics, and some of those details that come in the original language. And you have to be a Hebrew scholar to get it. So we're going to go through the content, understand that when we're reading these songs out of the original language, you'd be like, man, this is not a very good song. Good story, but not a great song. Well, now you, now you know why. Let's read verses 1 through 5. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. Now, Deborah, she is just euphoric with this victory. Uh, she trusted in the Lord. She gave the prophecies of God. God used her supernaturally in the nation of Israel. And when that's completed, she's, just not, she's not like, oh, I told you so. Well, duh. What would you think? She's still euphoric. She's still going to sing about it. And the same thing is true in our lives. You know, when we experience things, we need to live them. We need to experience them to the fullest. And then when God grants us victory, we need to be able to return the sacrifice of praise to our lips, you know, just thanking God for what he's, what he's doing. When we suffer or when we make a mistake or when we fall, we need to be able to do the same, just to come before the Lord. I want to mention this for two reasons. Number one is we live in a society of consumers. What are you doing for me? What has been created for me? Whether it's media or music or food or service, we go through our entire lives and we are consuming things that are produced by others. Here, Deborah is creating something. She's creating this song. She's making it herself. You know, every once in a while, my kids especially my younger ones, and they have crafts in the back, they bring me the most hideous drawings imaginable. Daddy, look what I made for you. Oh, that's beautiful, sweetheart. Oh, that's great, son. Fabulous. But it means something to me because they created it. 
I could go down to, or let's, let's not fib here. My wife could go down to the store and buy something that's way prettier than that, way more beautiful, that's artistically done, that's done by a professional. I don't want that, though. I want what my kids make. And the Lord is no different. And in a society where we're plugged into everything, we need to rem- remind ourselves that sometimes if we're singing a song, if we're writing poetry, if we're drawing something out, you know, we need to be creators because our Lord is a creator. He creates things. I want to point out some other things from the text here. It says in verse 2, when leaders lead in Israel. So God has given the victory. God has done it supernaturally. We're going to talk about that in a second. But when leaders lead is like the title of every other pastor leader conference that you've ever heard of. This is where they get it from. If you want to know, it comes from this verse. And it is very important. You know, I, I read a lot about leadership. I study a lot of it. I'm not very good at it, but I try. I just told you about the art painting, right? Well, that's me. But I want you to see something else here because the focus lately has been on leadership. It says here, when the people willingly offer themselves. It works together. See, what it means here is the people are willing to submit and they're willing to be led. They're, they're willing to follow along with leadership. And so you see this perfect, this perfect form where God is giving the vision, uh, God is giving His Word, the leaders are leading, and the people are following, they're obeying. When the people willingly offer themselves, oh, what a blessing it is, and that's what she writes, Bless, blessed be the Lord. You know, we need to be able to be followers. If only we studied following as hard as we do leading. If you go onto Spotify right now and you go look at all the podcasts on leadership, you'll be scrolling for days. See how many podcasts there are on following, on being second, on being a servant, on being the least, on doing a job quietly, on doing things, as the Bible says, without murmuring and complaining. How many of those of us in leadership wish we had people that did all things without murmuring and complaining? How crazy would that be? There's nothing on that. And I'm not taking away from leadership. Like I said, I'm a student of it. We need to be able, though, to be willingly able to offer ourselves. And then he conti- she continues on, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Nothing in here talks about how good of a singer she is. Nothing in here talks about if it was on the top ten playlist. Uh, doesn't talk about if there's a music deal. Doesn't talk about recordings because that is not what matters. It's the heart to create this praise before God. And we know because the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit that the Lord is using her and using this inspiration that he's putting in her to write biblical text, text that will never change. You know, when it comes to the Bible, not one jot, not one tittle will be changed or corrupted. It's eternal. And the Lord used someone spontaneously creating something to do that. I just find that so fascinating. And from a gal, no less, Aren't we Christians told that we're the sexist ones? Aren't we the ones that are told that we're always submitting and subjecting? We're putting women where they don't want to be, and we're always putting them second best, and we need to talk about equality and equal. No, God doesn't see that. He has an order and a union and a perfection, but here he is using Deborah, a prophetess in the nation of Israel, writing a song that's inspired by God that kings and princes and soldiers and regular citizens will all be singing in praise to God. I think there's a lot to unpack there. We've only been five verses. The last thing I want to point out in this section is what we pointed out last week. 
And that is in verse 4 and 5. We know that they won the battle because they went against all military advice of that day. Remember, they went into the plain against chariots. And they didn't have anything to fight them against. And this was suicide, but the Lord brought the rain. The clouds also poured water, verse 4. And so Flavius Josephus, in his history, he's a, a, a Jewish Roman historian. He's uh, about the same time as the Lord, so he's not an eyewitness account. But he points out that the waters were gushing down the ravines and the mountains and that it like, really overflowed this valley. I don't know if that's true or not. I just pointed out there to be a biblical student, and then you know I studied. But I find that fascinating. But this is the thing I want to point out. How many people would say in that time frame, well, you know, the Lord didn't really bless us. It just happened to rain. You know, it was the rain that one. You know, it was just the rain. What's the big deal? That's not the Lord. The Lord, it just happened. Wow, what a coincidence. Because isn't that what would happen today? You know, we say things, you know, you guys know me, I'm a big skeptic. I got a flat tire and it turned out that there was an accident down the road and the Lord saved my life. No, you just had a flat tire. But did you just have a flat tire? Did it just happen to rain? Was the Lord intervening? If you study the Holy Spirit in Scripture, you will see that He always, He keeps Himself discreet. He is modest. He never, the Holy Spirit will never make Himself the focus of anything. Because he's always pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is always pointing to the Father. So we have no idea the things that are happening in our lives that seem mundane that God is supernaturally using in our lives. They're actually miracles. But when we peel back the onion even a little bit more, we realize that every day is a miracle. Every time that we take a breath, scientifically speaking, we couldn't make a machine to do the things that our eyeball does the way that it does it. We, we, we couldn't make a machine that does what our lungs and our hearts do. And if, please, if you can create a machine that can pump that much fluid for over 100 years without stop, we need to get some patents done because we could do a lot of things. Yeah, but the Lord's been doing it. All of this is not mundane. Even the mud in a field. Anytime I get mud in my house, my wife's upset. You know, leave your boots at the, at the front door. Yet the Lord uses mud as a miracle. Oh, you guys think I'm taking it too far. Okay, tell that to the blind man when Jesus rubbed mud in his eyes. That mud is miraculous because Jesus touched it. It's just dirt. That's just dirt. Okay, what are you made out of? The Lord breathed into the dirt and made Adam, and from Adam was formed Eve. All this is in the first five verses. Incredible. Well, let's read verses 6 through 9. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, rose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Well, we've got to point out a couple more things here. In the first few verses, in verses 6 and 7, it's saying that Israel was just completely overrun. Remember, they were under oppression. 
And then what does the Lord here do? Deborah tells us, raises up one mother. The Lord raises up one mother with a prophetic word to speak into the lives of the leaders of Israel, and everything changed. Well, what's one, what's one mom? I mean, that's not a big deal. What's a little bit of mud to the blind man? It's healing. To the soldiers that were fighting, that were looking at those chariots, wondering if they were going to make it through the day, if they were going to see their loved ones, if they were going to see their kids grow up. As they're out there fighting, that mud is a miracle. Mothers, a single mom, with the Word of God written in her heart, you can change the world if God is on your side, if you lean on Him. So Deborah rose. And then I will fully admit, I did not see verse 8 when we talked last week. It says, not a shield or spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. Remember last week I said, well, they went out there without weapons. They didn't, they didn't have steel weapons. They didn't have iron weapons. They had brass and they had, you know, um, copper and they had wood and they went out there. How crazy is that to go out? Oh, no, it was worse than that. They didn't have any weapons at all. They went out there with sticks and rocks. And they were going to go to war with the 900 chariots. This is insane. Why did that happen, though? Let's go on a political tangent just for one second, shall we? Because those that were oppressing Israel took all of the weapons so that Israel could not rebel, so that they could be under authority. I'm just going to let that sit there where it is. Not going to take that bait. You know I will go down a rabbit hole. Half the fellowship will be cheering. The other half will leave the church. You know, we'll just leave that alone. See what the Lord does with it. But there was not a shield or a spear. But what did they have? They had F-16s and nuclear weapons. No, they had the Lord. They had the Lord. The Lord was on their side. And what else? Don't forget. They had mud. Mud and some rain. A miracle. Now, verse 9, it says, My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly. See, that's the opposite of verse 2. The leaders were leading and the people offered themselves. And now in verse 9, the leaders were offering themselves also. They are along for the ride. They were in it. So they made the orders. They called the army. They called the assembly. And then they were on the front lines willing to go. If you read our founding fathers and you read the way that um, their writings, their principles, their values... They committed their whole lives to their cause, especially in the United States of America in the Revolution. There is no country. The chances of making that country are zero when they started. They gave their families, they gave their businesses, they gave their livelihoods, all in commitment of treason against England because they thought that God was on their side and that the values and honor were there. Well, here it is the same thing. The leaders are sacrificed. The leaders are in for the cause. They're all in. You know, wouldn't that be something if our leaders, every time they went to the war, their son went on the front lines? Or if they wanted to commit billions of dollars to a war, their dollars go. They commit their stuff. Wouldn't that change things? That would be a little funny. You know, I don't know what defense contracts would be if the people that are signing the contracts have to pay from their own livelihoods. Instead of making money off of it, they have to spend it. The whole principle would change. But that just goes to show you that apart, apart from a walk with the Lord, it's just not possible. Because remember, these people, they're in oppression. Why? Why are they in oppression? Because they're worshiping idols. 
They were turning away from the Lord. They were not obeying His commandments. Their hearts had turned away from God. We can, we can go through this chapter and we could talk about how, you know, disarming the state is a bad idea, how we need good leadership, how we need to change our rules. And if we change our laws, things will get fixed. But we've been talking about for the last few weeks, you can pass all the laws in the planet and you can change all the appropriations committees and we can legislate for weapons or against weapons. If you don't change the heart of man, it's a complete waste. And who can change the heart of man? Only Jesus Christ can make us. He can take the stony heart within us and give us a heart of flesh. We have to be focused on the right thing. Where is Deborah's heart? Her heart is for the Lord, but then what she say? My heart is with the rulers of Israel. She cares deeply. Where the country of Israel was going has a deep effect on this mom who is communion with God. And so we have a lot to look up to here. Let's read now verses 10 through 18. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Verse 12, awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song, arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The land came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose root were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Machir, rulers came down. And from Zebulon, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of the heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulon is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. So we got a contrast here. The contrast is the great victory that God delivered by using the leaders and the people. And now Deborah, in her song, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins listing all the tribes that did not partake in the battle. She begins to list out every single tribe that risked nothing, that sent nobody to war. They sat on their hands. Oh, I wonder how this is going to play out. And so they get nothing. They get remembered in this song. Imagine this song is being sung throughout the country, and you have to hear over and over again about how you didn't do anything. Well, on the bright side, they risked nothing. They lost nothing. They didn't lose any men. They didn't lose any money. But they also gained nothing. Well, they did gain something. Shame for not acting when they were supposed to act. If you can't make that application, I can't help you. you know, we have to do what we're called to do. And inaction is an action in and of itself. And that's what they're rem reminded of. Reuben, Dan, Gilead, Zebulon, 
Naphtali. I take that back. Zebulon and Naphtali, they're going to be on the list of those that did it. But Asher stays on the seashore. Dan remains on ships. Gilead, Gilead stayed behind their borders. Reuben didn't do anything, and she's mentioning them all now. So who was in charge? Well, we know that Barak, he wouldn't do it without Deborah. So Deborah's there, Barak is there. We, you know, we were kind of down on Barak because he wouldn't go without Deborah, but at the end of the day, he was there at the battle. At the end of the day, he did it. These other tribes did not. Now let's read verses 19 through 27. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The accident, the ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, O my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Morose, see the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to help of the Lord against the mighty. Verse 24. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Hebar the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched out her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? I mean, this is quite the song, isn't it? I can't, I can't go without dissing some songs. I mean, look at the content here. Look at the depth and the background and the doctrines and the history. And then we have some songs. I'm like, what are, what are you even saying? I mean, I'm talking worship songs. You know, and there are some short worship songs. This is the air I breathe. That is a fantastic song. So I'm not bashing all of them. But there are some songs, I'm just like, what are you talking about? If you can insert anything into the song and it fits, that is not a worship song. What do I mean by that? If you could say, okay, this song is about the Lord and my love for the Lord, but it doesn't use Jesus' name, doesn't talk about God, it's totally ambiguous, and you could fit in your boyfriend, your girlfriend, donuts for that matter, and it still fits, that is not a worship song. That is an elevator song. It goes in the elevator music. If they're playing your worship song on soft at Chick-fil-A because it's just kosher enough not to inflame a non-believer, that's not a song. That's marketing. You can't have that here. Not with what God is doing here. And remember, this is being sung throughout the nation and throughout their history. And so there's a lot to be said here. Now, remember, we talked about J.L. last week. Nothing said here about this girl. Is she a follower of the Lord? Is she dedicating her life? No, it just says she's blessed. She broke every single cultural standard there was. I mean anathema. I don't know what dinner was like that night in her tent, but it was not pretty. But it says she's blessed among women because she brought deliverance to Israel. She is not an Israelite. She's a Kenite. 
And she did something that nobody else, I assume, is willing to do. But at the same time, there's consequences for every action because what do you see in verse 28? Sisera, his mom, is waiting for him to come home. He ain't coming home. He's got that tent spike in his head. He's nailed to the floor. He can't go anywhere. But it just goes to show you, you know, the Lord's ways make even his enemies to be at peace with him. He doesn't want to destroy people. They accuse us. They say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is a genocidal savage. Absolutely not. The Lord is a God of love. He wants to protect and to nourish. He will destroy to protect the greater whole because of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, yes, he will be stern. Oh, yes, he will bring great wrath, and there will be greater wrath yet to come. But he sees Sisera's mom. The Lord understands the consequences of what he's doing. He knows the heartache. He knows the heartbreak. He knows the mourning. He knows the joy. He hears the songs. He also hears the tears on both sides. On Sunday morning, we talked about what side is God on. God doesn't have a side. It's just him. He is the side. Everything else is just in rebellion to him or in obedience to him. That's it. Even here. Even in the book of Micah, when we're talking about the Assyrians being raised up in opposition, God hasn't switched sides. He's just doing His will and doing His work. What else does this show us? Y'all moms are crazy. You'll love anybody. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer's mom is probably like, well, he's a good boy. Here he is. She's looking out the window, crying, waiting for Sisera, the manslaying. You know, the guy that's a dictating general that kind of is overseeing and oppressing Israel, took all their weapons, getting all their money, tithing, can't let the, they won't, uh, they're not allowed to worship their own gods. This guy is not a nice guy. And there she is looking out the window. When's he coming home? He's such a good boy. He takes out the trash. We never want to trust our own judgment. We want to keep our judgment from the Lord. We need to stay, the word is a lamp unto our feet, a guide unto our path. And what does the Bible say? That his word cuts to the bone and to the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intention of the heart. He knows the deep things, the secret things. Well, in verses 28 through 31, because I skipped ahead and I read about that already, the mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl or two. For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Well, we know for sure they're celebrating here. They're trying to tell her, you know, oh, yeah, he's just so victorious right now. They're, they've got the plundering. Now, the exact wording here is super difficult. They don't understand it in the Hebrew exactly in some of these areas. I'll spare you all of the details of their arguments back and forth. I love the pulpit commentary that just said the Hebrew here is very difficult and just left it at that. Um, but the point is the same. They're telling the mom, yeah, don't worry, don't cry. He's just so victorious they're taking time out to count the spoil. But we know that's not the case. 
not only was he defeated, he was defeated by a woman in a tent, not even on the battlefield, as he was running away. He got caught in the mud. Rain and some mud defeated the 900 chariots. And a little, a little lady in a little tent killed their mightiest general. You know, the Lord doesn't need anything to win. He uses the humblest, the smallest things. Isn't there a scripture like that? He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the humble, and the meek. Didn't he say something like, it's the meek that will inherit the earth? Something like that. That's just the Lord. And that's why we can say in verse 31, Let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Well, let me get my full John Corson on. And let's change S-U-N to S-O-N. But let those who love him be like the sun. We need to be like our Lord. You see, when the Lord conquers his enemies, he saves them because he loves his enemies. When we were enemies with God, he gave himself for us. He died for us. When we were against him, when we were in rebellion, he looked at us and said, that's mine. I give myself. Except for you Revelation students know the next time that Jesus comes, he's not going to say that. It's because he's righteous. But right now we're in the age of grace, and we need to share that message with everyone for as long as we can. Well, we're going to spend the rest of this hour in prayer. Next week we're going to pick up in the land of Midian. We're going to have some exciting times in the book of Judges. Um, Let's spend some time in prayer, interceding for one another, praying for those that are in authority, for the peace of Israel, as the Lord calls us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We pray that you would lead us through prayer this evening as we grow and are used by you. Inhabit our praises and our prayers, and I pray that you would guide us through your spirit tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.